everybody. Welcome back to another edition of The Teardown. My name is Jeff Gluck, and I'm along with my co-worker, Jordan Bianchi. We are writers here at The Athletic, and Jordan had an idea, uh, based on listening to some other podcasts he likes, to uh, open up the mailbag and take uh, a bunch of listener questions um, and hear from you guys. What, what do you guys want us to talk about? So we're going to devote this entire episode to questions. Now, on our last episode, we said, hey, we're not going to put out the call on Twitter. We're just going to put this out for people who listened. And uh, we got about 25 people or so um, who mailed us questions. Uh, we're not going to be able to answer all of them on one episode, obviously. And some people even had multiple questions. So um, we're going to try to get to maybe 10 or so today. Maybe we'll save some for another time if you guys like this theme. But uh, yeah, we're here to answer your questions. My first question is for Jordan. Jordan, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. This is a lot of fun. Uh, the college football pa- podcast with Stuart Mandel and Bruce uh, Feldman, which you can hear on The Athletic, is, is one of my favorite podcasts. And they do this mailbag every episode. And it's always a great way to interact with subscribers and they kind of get their pulse and, and hear what they're thinking about things. And some kind of, sometimes it generates some good ideas and discussion. So this will be fun. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so let's see what's on your mind. First, we'll start with uh, Riker Coogan, I think is how you announce his name. He says, uh, why is the Chili Bowl super hyped up and why do so many NASCAR drivers race in it? Like, I know Kyle Larson, Christopher Bell, Chase Briscoe are all dirt guys, but like, why is Chase Elliott racing in it with not much dirt racing background? Um, it's a great question. And, I, you know, I personally love the Chili Bowl so much and I'm tweeting about it, you know, all week as we record this. It just finished last night with Kyle Larson uh, winning his second in a row. Um, so, but I can sense that, you know, some people are like, oh my gosh, like, why, why do you talk so much about this? So for me, I think that it's sort of like, um, it's, it's like, uh, the, it's the closest thing that you can maybe come to like the U S open of racing because we see people in the chili bowl that, I mean, literally there's no license requirements at all. So, um, I've heard that for as little as potentially like 1500 bucks, you could uh, get like a clunker chili bowl car, a midget car and pay the entry fee and show up at the chili bowl and you're in, that's it. Um, and you, you know, depending on your draw, you could be on the same track as Kyle Larson, Christopher Bell, Chase Elliott, uh, at least for eight laps of your heat race. <laughs> now it's up to them to try to avoid you and avoid trouble. Some people like this guy, this crazy story from last week, this Anthony Esberg guy had never heard of the chili bowl, never heard of Kyle Larson uh, a month ago and decided to, you know, he, I guess he met some people and decided to enter. He had very limited, like even uh, asphalt experience at his local track. Anyway, uh, he took out Ricky Stenhouse jr. In his heat and then flipped about 30 feet up in the air uh, was okay and made it to a qualifier race Anyway, he ended up, you know, sort of learning and staying out of the way uh, after that. But he got a ton of crap from people in the building. But then you had this other guy, like this guy Gravy Fairfield, who is a crew member, and he just said, "Hey, I want to enter it for the first time." Uh, and he just said, hey, "I'm living out a dream," and and he didn't get in any crashes or anything, and just ran around real slowly. And um, you know, he was in it. But the bottom line is, there's over 300 cars in it. It brings people from all disciplines. And it whittles down people over the course of the week and, of course, of uh, the day. And it's just such a cool event because it's like, you know, you're taking racers from all over the place 
and all different backgrounds and you're saying, hey, who's who's the best? And it's amazing how the the best guys, even though the format is complicated, always end up rising to the top. So I think, you know, guys like Chase Elliott, he had been to the Chili Bowl before, he had watched it before, and he's like, man, I want to do that. I mean, you saw guys like Matt Benedetto last night saying, I'm going to be in it next year. Um, so, you know, I, I just think people say, you know, I want to try it. I mean, I was looking at it going, hey, I wonder if I could try it someday. So I think it's just that that atmosphere of it is just such a unique event. Um, it, I just, I love watching it. I love what it represents. It's, it only pays 10,000 bucks to win. So people aren't in it for the money. It's just the prestige of saying I'm a Chili Bowl champion. So that's, that's my, uh, that's my Chili Bowl rant, Jordan. <laughs> I, I agree with largely all of that. And I think it, to me, it reminds me of the FA cup in, in England, the big soccer tournament where teams, you know, big and small enter to win. And this is kind of what it is. I also think the timing of the year helps. It's in January. It's the off season. People are kind of hungry for racing again. And it's just a great precursor. Um, if this event happened in the middle of the year when there's so much going on, I don't know if you would have the same hype because I don't think you'd have the same quality of drivers. And I also think the fact that how hard these cars are to race and the, the skill level, it's a challenge. And I think that really manifests itself when you can, and I was texting with somebody last night and they were watching this for the first time and they're like, wow, these things look crazy. How do you, how do they drive them? So I think that really comes through, you know, and to me, it's a great event. And the fact that you bring in everybody from NASCAR, you know, sprint car racing, even a couple of IndyCar guys here and there, I just, I think it's great. I think it's incredible. It's a fun atmosphere. I love what they're doing with it. And I think it's, uh, I, every year when the Chili Bowl runs or comes around, I just get really excited for it. Well, that's the other thing that I, that it, it so attracts me to midget racing is that it really is about the best drivers, you know, um, obviously you look, I mean, everybody listening to this, you know, you, you like NASCAR or you wouldn't be listening to this podcast. Um, but in NASCAR, you know, it's probably, you know, I, I, depending on who you talk to, maybe 80% car, 20% driver. Certainly in midget racing, it's 80% driver, 20% car. You still have to have a decent car. Um, but a guy like Kyle Larson, um, he can elevate a car that's not the best and, uh, and win with it. And, and you're really seeing the driver's skill and talent come out. Um, and like you said, I mean, it, it can be treacherous. I mean, they, they do a flip count every year and I think it was almost 70 flips this year. I think it was 67, 68 flips, something like that. I didn't see the final number, but, um, you know, it's, it's hard. Uh, and it just, but it's, it's cool. So, um, anyway, I've spent way too much time on, on, uh, my chili bowl <laughs> answer here, but I, I really love it for me. It's probably one of my favorite events. And I think that again, the reason it's big for, for the racers is cause they're like, man, this is really a showcase of driving talent and something that, that I can jump in and see how I do. So yeah, it's it's the it's really in a large respect. It's the best of the best, kind of stacking up against each other, which is always great to see. Um, let's get to our second question. This one's from Ali Osman. I want to hear what you and Jordan think about the expectations for William Byron this year, and do you guys see he do you see him not being in Hendrick Motorsports in the coming years if he continues to perform as he's been doing the last two seasons? Well, that's I mean, yeah, in in a way. Uh, I guess one thing, let me preface this by saying, I think that Hendrick is on the rise and I think that you're going to, you know, right now, you know, Byron, okay. Yeah. He had more wins than Jimmy Johnson this year. He had the same amount of wins as Alex Bowman. So you're not going to be looking at him going, man, he only won one race and you know, he's not getting it done while the other guys are necessarily because the only guy that got it done really at Hendrick last year was Chase Elliott. 
I think that Hendrick is, that's going to be a different story for them in the years coming. So I think, you know, you're going to see Elliot winning certainly multiple races a year. Kyle Larson is going to be winning multiple races a year. You know, Alex Bowman is, is going to get better and, you know, he has to win multiple races a year if he wants to stay there in my opinion, in the 48 car. So that's going to put the pressure on Byron as well. And if Byron is sort of like in the, you know, sort of Casey Kane type role where he's the one guy that's not really performing, then yeah, I mean, as much as Hendrick loves him, maybe he doesn't stay there. But, uh, you know, so I I think that that increases the pressure, but it sort of depends on what his teammates do. I think at a, a team like Hendrick, you really look at the teammates and you see if one person's lagging behind. I would agree with that. And what I would say is that Hendrick Motorsports is a big fan of William Byron. They believe in him a lot. And William Byron has a lot of talent. And he hasn't had a lot of years in actual cars. So this is a driver who's still learning. And I will contend that there was, out of the people who were hurt last year by the lack of practice in qualifying, one of them, the chief among them, was William Byron. Just because he needs the, all the track time he can get. I think the last three years he's been he's gotten marginally better our you know the first year was was a struggle as typically rookies do second year when he was paired with chad canals in 2019 was a very good year for him and last year there were times when he looked very good and he took that next step last year to win a race this year he has to continue that progress with crew chief uh, rudy fugel i think they're going to do that and i think as you said, a lot of this is about Hendrick as an organization and where they're at. And if they're upping their game as they seem to be doing, and William continues to get experience, and he's now uh, working with a crew chief who really understands him and is really, I think, in a right spot to kind of take him to the next part of his career, I think that the ceiling is very high for him. He's got a long-term contract with the organization. They believe in him. I think he's going to win multiple races this season and really kind of continue to show why he's been so hyped as this next great driver. How long can you wait, though, if, if he doesn't? I mean, because, well, you know, like you say, oh, you know, this. I mean, this is going to be his fourth year or whatever, and then he had other time, other track time in, in uh, the lower series. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, comparatively, he hasn't been racing since he's five years old, but, I mean, he still had plenty of time in stock cars, and, you know, Chase Elliott, Kyle Larson, those guys started winning regularly quicker you know, I would say so. It, it took people forget how long it took Elliot to win a race. I mean, it took Elliot towards halfway through his third full season to break through. And remember the narrative on Elliot for a long time but it was, you know, oh, Elliot can't win when he's, you know, late race restarts. He's not good. He's not good in the clutch. It, it takes a while. It took Bowman a while. It took, you know, it, it just, it does take a while at this level to break through. And even you see guys like an Eric Jones who do break through and win the Southern 500. It is a struggle to continue to, to figure out what you need to do and to get better. It, it, this was Denny Hamlin's narrative for a long time. You know, Denny Hamlin burst onto the scene in 2006, you know, wins the, the clash as a rookie. And everybody's thinking, this has been great, wins a couple races as rookie year. Then the next few years, he, you know, he was good, but he wasn't great. And it just took a while to kind of figure this out where you're, you're consistent every week. So I'm willing to give him a little bit more of a rope. He only had one full season in the Xfinity series. He only had one full season in the truck series. Um, I, I'm not saying that he, he should be expected to win races. And I think as long as he continues on this trajectory and he wins a couple times this year, that's what you want to see out of him. And then um, it continue to get better. Now, is he going to match the performance of Chase Elliott? No, I don't think he's going to do that this year. But the, the, the ceiling is high for him. He just has to continue to make steps to, to get there. Well, I, I know we need to move on, but I just want to say that I, I, don't, I don't agree with your, uh, your comparison, though, to Elliott. I mean, Elliot, yes, he didn't. He wasn't getting the wins through his first three years, but he he did have three wins, and he had 
33 top five finishes in his first three years sure. seasons. Uh, William Byron has one win and only nine top fives in his first three seasons. So at some point, I mean, you know, again, and Elliot was about the same age, you know, I know he had more experience, you know, and you could say on short tracks and, and the stuff, big thing. but well, but I mean, it's, I don't know. I, I just, it, you know, at some point Byron's just going to have to step up more, but anyway, Absolutely. let's don't let's disagree with that. Move on to, uh, we have a lot of questions to get to. So, um, the next one is from Nathan Dwyer and he says, which driver who has not yet won a championship, do you expect to be the next one to do so Jordan? The easy answer is Denny Hamlin. I mean, Denny, you know, we know Denny's narrative. He's come close many times. He's the best active driver maybe of all time, never to have won a championship. He's still very much in his prime. So he would be the obvious choice. If we're looking big picture, taking a step back and looking, you know, years down the road, I would probably go with Christopher Bell. Interesting. Okay. Well, I'll say Larson here. Um, you know, obviously Hamlin would be the, the easy pick. Um, cause he's already going to be, you know, he's going to be a contender and, and you would figure he's going to be a final four threat. Um, certainly again this year. Um, so I, I would, you know, uh, he's easy, but I mean, I, I think Larson is probably not that far away if he can put pieces together quickly at Hendrick. Um, I mean, look how, you know, it came together for Chase Elliott sort of at the end of last year, just to sort of come out of nowhere when we didn't think he's going to make the final four. Next thing you know, he wins Martinsville is in the final four wins Phoenix and he's champ. So it can happen that quickly, but, uh, that would be the one I'd, I'd go with. Um, there's not, it's interesting because when you look at the championship guys now, um, Kyle Busch is now the only multi time active champion in NASCAR. Only guy with two or more champions championships. Uh, that's crazy to think about, isn't it? I mean, it is, you, it is. you know, everybody else is sort of spread thin where you've got, you know, a, a Kurt Busch, a Harvick, a Truex, a Keselowski, a Logano. Um, is there anybody else? That might be it actually. I think um, that is it off the top of my head. Unless we're counting Kenseth. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not counting him. So yeah, I mean, it's kind of a weird, a weird dynamic now with Jimmy, uh, stepping aside and Kenseth being out, obviously, Gordon and Stewart being out the last few years that's that took a chunk of championships out as well so yeah it's it's a weird dynamic and uh a lot of people have one one guy has two and some people are still hunting for their first one yeah, um, and it shows you just you know when a guy wins seven championships he kind of hogs them a little bit I think your Larson sure. pick is really good by the way it's a smart pick um let's go to the next one here you want to read the one from Quinn Gingrich Yes. Quinn's question is, why is NASCAR opposed to having same-day qualifying for the Cup Series? We've seen it for years prior to COVID-19 in the Xfinity Series, and it seemed to be a success. So why is the answer for the Cup Series to eliminate qualifying altogether, minus the eight races that were announced for the 2021 season that are going to be, everything else is going to be one-day shows? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it, to me, it's it's a pretty simple uh explanation that it's just it's just about money right i mean it, it's about money in the sense that you're saving not only um on on a backup car that you don't have to bring at all to the track uh, which is a ton of you know that's preparation at the shop and um you know it's it's the cost of not having to uh you know risk using an extra car certainly and then the manpower part of it you don't even yeah, have to the big thing. You don't have to bring the guys to the track that are going to be switching over the car from qualifying trim to race trim and all that stuff. And, and it's just the 
the really the guys that are there to, to race the cars already put together you roll it off and and you go now i know that's not a that's not a good answer in terms of an answer people want to hear because people don't want to hear well they're saving money so that's why they're going to set it based on a qualifying formula i mean quinn's not going to be happy with losing at track content because so the, the teams can save money you know what i mean but that's that's I'm saying that's the answer in terms of that's, that's the reality of what's happening here. They're, they've figured out that it costs a lot less in terms of preparation, manpower, um, all that stuff. And that's, that's the team, the route, the teams in NASCAR want to go. Yeah. And I think the other important thing here is too, with, with COVID-19 and it comes back to the manpower thing is you don't have backup cars, which means you don't have to have people in the, more people in the shop working on the backup car, getting that backup car ready. You don't have to have more people at the racetrack. If there's an accident in qualifying and you've got to flip it over to the, to the backup car, you don't have to have more guys at the track to, to get that um, to get that car ready. And we, we've seen it many times when, you know, let's say a, a William Byron crashes in qualifying, there's going to be other members of Hendrick Motorsports coming over and helping out. And it's about keeping these teams as separate as you can. And so if you can eliminate having a backup car, it just means less people have to be involved in the process of getting these cars ready. And with COVID-19 and, you know, social distancing and everything, that is a very important thing. Now, I have a legitimate question here along the lines of what Quinn asked. Um, why, why can't they just, you know, go back to, you know, three-day shows or whatever, two-day shows at least, or even same-day qualifying like he's asking for um for the playoffs alone because at that point in the season you know once we get to september you would think that covid would be under control people would be vaccinated um and we'd be able to have some normalcy back and this car as we know this is the last year this car so teams will certainly have extra inventory that they're never going to need again so who cares if you junk a car um Right. I mean, why, you know, I, again, I, I know I just contradicted myself because I said it saves money, but for the last 10 races for the playoffs, I mean, you know, I think you answered your question though. It's about money and it's about savings and it's not, it's forcing teams. It's just not just the playoff teams though. It's the smaller teams that maybe their inventory. I mean, we know this because the next gen car was pushed back. There are a lot of teams big and small, but especially, you know, the mid-sized teams who have had to scramble this year to bulk up their inventory and it's been a process. So now you're asking them for 10, the 10 race, last 10 races of the year. Oh, by the way, you may need extra cars in case, you know, you got a guy who's destroying a bunch of race cars. You may have to go out and, and figure out how you're going to get these parts and pieces. Oh, for a car, by the way, that, you know, it's only got like three weeks left on it before it's obsolete. So I get what you're saying. I, I like practice and qualifying, um, especially in the playoffs. I think it adds to the element. It kind of builds the hype a little bit. But if it's about dollars and cents, it, it just does not make sense. Next question we have is from a, a Twitter user with a great name. Uh, it's at It's Me Dave. I mean, I like it. That's great. I, I almost want to make a Twitter name called It's Me Jeff. I'm sure somebody's already <laughs> done that. Um, that's a great. That's a great Twitter name. Anyway, his question is: Being that Harvick was eliminated from the final four. Do you ever see NASCAR allowing a final five for the championship race to ensure the regular season champion is involved in the final? Um, personally, I don't. Uh, I don't know about you, Jordan, but I no, I think NASCAR, you know, when they when this stuff happens like last year, they go, oh, we'll see. You know, it's just like, uh, you know, even though it's to me not a valid comparison, they go, it's just like New York or New, Eng New England Patriots going undefeated uh, in the regular season and then 
you know, losing to the Giants in the Super Bowl or whatever. You know, you still have to perform in the playoffs, even though that's a one-on-one team thing, and this is not. But um, I, I think the problem is if you let the regular season champion get a 10-week buy or nine-week buy, essentially, that's just that's too much. Um, the bottom that's line is, you know, Harvick, you know, yeah, he had the best season of anybody, but he he had a chance. He certainly had a chance to perform, and he didn't. And even when they got to Phoenix, remember when everybody said, oh, you know, he's going to, he's going to come to Phoenix with a vengeance and he's really going to, you know, it's his best track. He's really going to kick, you know, kick everybody's butt. Now he didn't beat any of the championship contenders. Um, I don't even know if he, I don't think he led a lap. Right. So no. And I can, can I give you a quick aside on that really quick. Uh huh. I talked to Rodney Childers, his crew chief about kind of focusing on the last, you know, that last round that Texas, Kansas, Phoenix or uh, Martinsville stretch where, Harvard just fell out and Rodney said after what happened in the semifinal round they went to Phoenix it was like they were they're just the wind was out of their sails and they just had they were just they were it was like a stomach punch they had nothing left to give well I mean I don't know the the car wouldn't know that though uh, well I mean I think it goes into what was went into the car and but the, the car was already done I mean the effort, car would be done the, the, by the effort and you know how much time and energy during the week are you putting into this and then come race it, I I think there's a, something to be said for how much I, I, I hate to use this word because I don't I'm kind of putting words in his mouth, but like how much effort and really see how much did you really care? Let's just put it that way. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, look, I, I understand that he, he said that. And but at the same time, I mean, they would have had that card done prior to knowing whether they were in the final four or not, um, you know, whether they had slow pit stops or whatever. I mean, the bottom line is they didn't bring a fast enough car. They, they brought a car that was fitting of their last few races that made them miss. So um, I don't think they had it. I mean, would you think that if they had made the final four, they would have brought some extra effort? It's, that- it's a different mentality. The, people race the final four drivers very differently. You've wrote about this and that those guys, I mean, we saw with Chase. I mean, you, you're coming up through the field and you start in the back. You're getting breaks that other guys aren't getting. And would Harvick have gotten some more breaks? Probably well, that would have helped him. I fin- think he finished that race seventh. So you know, is that worth a couple more spots? Sure. Now, did he have the same speed as the other guys? No. I, I that's obvious. But I do think there's when your mentality is in there and you're you you know you you've just lost a championship and you've had after the season you've had and you're going in there and you just honestly your give a damn is is, is your give a damn meter is pretty low. Um, I just I think that does impact it a little bit. I'm you know is that worth a few spots on the racetrack combined with you know guys giving you a better break? Absolutely. So then all of a sudden Harvick goes from seventh to finishing seventh eighth to he's running in the top three four five. Yeah, and then you never know. All right, why don't you uh, go ahead and read our next question? Okay, this one is from Zachary Hardesty. I probably screwed that name up, and I apologize. Zachary. I would say Hardesty. Yeah, Hardesty. Sorry, I'm horrible with names. Um, I've been a Jimmy Johnson's fan since I started watching NASCAR. I haven't watched hardly any IndyCar racing, though, before, so I was wondering what your thought was on how Jimmy Johnson would fit in in IndyCar. Oh, I get to answer uh, this one first? <laughs> oh, you, I, mean, I can do it. I'll, I'll go first. I mean, I'll, I know we kind of talked about this. Um, my expectations are low. It's going to be It's a very competitive form of racing, and Johnson is focusing on street and road courses, which are extremely tough and where... It does matter the, the equipment you're in. Now he's with Chip Ganassi Racing and everything, and, that, and that's great. So 
it's going to be an adjustment. This is a guy who's never done this kind of racing before. I know he's putting a lot of work in the offseason. And can we just talk about the elephant in the room? He's, what, 45? Is that right? Yeah, I believe he's 45. Age, age 45, that's a really big number for a driver to make this kind of transition. That is a really big number for an IndyCar driver to have to be competitive and to be consistent. Um, we saw in Johnson's last few years, I think I think it's fair to say that age probably caught up with him a little bit, and I wonder how that's going to impact him in IndyCar. Go ahead, Jeff, your turn. Well, I, I just have low expectations as well, Zachary. I'm sorry. Um, but, you know, he's not going to be doing ovals. Uh, you know, the street and road courses, it's, it's you know, a lot of the people who are racing in IndyCar, I mean, that's their whole background and specialty from the time they're growing up. Um, and that's what they do. And the ovals are the exception for them rather than the road courses. Um, you know, it, for me, I'm, I'm picturing Johnson finishing like 10th to 15th. Uh most of the weeks that he's he's out there on those, I, I think it'll be uh, difficult to crack the top ten. Certainly, you know, if he can get a podium at any time in the year, that would be, I think, pretty remarkable. Um, you know, just based on his lack of experience with that car. I mean, he's been driving stock cars his entire career, really, except for the off-road trucks. Um, doesn't really have this kind of open-wheel experience for the most part. So, uh, yeah, I just I. I I would just think, you know, he's going to try to enjoy it and uh, try to have fun and, and learn each week and um, not set too high expectations. Now, you know, the first couple weeks, he'll get a lot of media attention. They're, they've now changed their season opener, so they're going to start at Barber Motorsports Park instead of St. Pete because of COVID stuff. Um, so there'll be a lot of attention, you know, um, you know, oh, Jimmy Johnson's trying this. But I think after, you know, the first couple weeks, you know, it'll he's he's mostly another driver you'll have some fans tune in to watch him to see how he's doing but uh unless he really sets the world on fire or something uh i don't think you know i think it'll it'll that that storyline will kind of fade a little bit um in terms of i I don't know Um, i think you make a really good point about the formula like the guys who with this background i mean you look at a guy like marcus erickson who came from formula one and it's been a struggle for him and you could look at a guy like Felix Rosenquist, who's been very much hyped and was seen as this next great IndyCar driver. Um, you know, won a race last year at Road America, and it was great, but he struggled. And it's just, it is very, very hard to make this transition, even if you have an open-wheel background. Yeah, I mean, to, to keep going on that, I mean, even Santino Ferrucci, who was on the precipice of being an F1 driver, I mean, he was an F1, you know, reserve driver, essentially, a development driver for Haas, and he was in Formula Two and all that stuff. And um, you know, it's not like he set the world on fire. He he was decent in IndyCar, but you know, not like amazing or anything like that. So it's just and, and again, so Jimmy doesn't even have that kind of background. If a guy like that can't just suddenly jump in and win races, you know, it's it's going to be tough. It's going to be real tough. Um, next question uh, from Jeremy Sparks. Quick quick thing about Jeremy Sparks, Jordan. Um, oh. Second tweet up I ever had. First tweet up we ever had, 2009 Labor Day weekend at Atlanta. Was outside the Atlanta Media Center. Had, I think we had three people. Second tweet up I ever had was this guy Dave Thompson and Jeremy Sparks uh, at Richmond. And it was almost like a, a blind date. Because like I, I said, meet under this pillar of the grandstands, basically. 
And, you know, again, only two people showed up. This was early days of Twitter. And um, I was like, are, are you guys standing here for the tweet up? They're like, oh, are you Jeff? <laughs> yeah, oh, hey, 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 what's going on? Yeah. Um, it was really kind of awkward at first. But, uh, yeah, Jeremy Sparks, uh, I guess I've known him for almost 12 years now. Pretty crazy. But, anyway, his, his question is, um, what is the most high-profile, credible, or legit intel you had that didn't pan out. Jordan, you have a lot of news leads in here, a lot of things. I'd like to hear uh, your answer on this. That's a great question. And I will, you know, immediately my mind goes back to 2018 in the spring. And that was when the it came out that NASCAR was looking at taking on a sell, uh, an investor or looking maybe the France family was looking at outright selling NASCAR. And I had a couple people that I, that I trust. And, and it's not that they were wrong, but they were... That the, what they were telling me was that the 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 uh, a transaction was very close to happening, and that NASCAR was very close to taking on an investor that would have been just under fifty percent uh, of the the series. So the France family would have maintained ownership stake, but then that would have also came with the caveat that down the road this this investor company would have been able to. Um, you know, purchase a larger share and then eventually take over NASCAR. Now, you know, digging more on that, that that didn't happen and it obviously didn't pan out. But that I, I just remember in that that time period, there was all sorts of speculation and discussions about what NASCAR was doing and the direction they were going. And there was a I, at least from the people I the conversations I was having, there seemed to be a lot of smoke that something was afoot. But it's, I mean, it's factual that they were definitely considering offers. I mean, it wasn't even sure. like that, that wasn't that is factual. Yeah, yeah but I'm talking like they were like a deal was close to being done. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So, um, Thomas Nowers says this kind of goes along with last week's topic. If you didn't listen to our last podcast, we talked about, um, what defines success, um, for certain drivers. So he wants to know what would define success for chase Elliott's entire career. This is a interesting one because to me, um, at least so far from what we've seen, I think one championship is like, Hall of Fame worthy in NASCAR. It seems like the Hall of Fame voters consider anybody with at least one title uh, to be in, in in the Hall of Fame. Now, Chase Elliott, uh, I think he's still only maybe 24 years old. Maybe he's 25. Um, yeah, I think he just turned 25. Anyway, uh, he already has 11 career wins, which isn't Hall of Fame numbers. I think that you would need maybe 20 for that, but he has the championship. Um, so... I would say in a way, like, let's say the rest of his career is, is disappointing. He doesn't win another championship. He maybe only wins, you know, a race or two a year. Um, let's say for the next 10 years or something. And, or, or even that, I mean, bottom line, I think he's already going to be considered a success because he has that title. So like, let's say he gets to his mid thirties and he never wins another championship and he doesn't really capitalize on what people thought he was going to be. I still feel like when it's all said and done, I mean, people would be hard on him for sure and say, Oh, overhyped and he didn't produce and the potential. But I, I feel like, you know, you, anytime you can win five races in a season in a championship, um, you know, especially the, the further along they get, you know, you're going to say, Hey, he won it against he, Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin and Truex and guys who aren't around anymore at that time. I don't know. I, I feel like anything he does now is almost a bonus. Um, you know, he's, he's had a successful career. He's won as many championships as his dad did. Yeah. I, I think it's hard to answer this question. To me, it's almost two parts. Um, 
Chase Kelly's career, he won a championship. Not a lot of guys can say that. So just by that alone, it's a success. But if oh, we're wait, looking wait. at Jordan, guess what I just remembered? Oh, when we were talking about one-time championships earlier in the podcast, I didn't mention oh, Chase Elliott. Elliot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god! I bet all of you who are listening to this oh. were going, were yelling at your. Uh, idiots. uh, Hello, everybody. Like Uh, Jeff and Jordan, do you remember who just We were just assuming that everybody knew that. That's all. That's right. That's right. I was saying. Since he's the reigning champ, we were just talking about guys before him. That was unspoken, right? Wink, wink. Yeah. 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 It was understood. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry, everybody. Wow. 20 minutes later or whatever. Yeah. All right. Please continue with your answer, Jordan. You said it's two parts. uh, You know, if 10 years from now. Elliot only has one championship. I think it kind of depends on what else he's been doing. Is he winning a bunch of races, you know, along the way? Every year he's winning two, three, four races. And kind of like what Brad Keselowski's done, you know, since Brad won the tw- title in 12. Brad, every year, has largely been a title contender and won multiple races. And Brad's career, you know, he's won some big races. Uh, you know, Coca-Cola 600, Southern 500. If that is how Elliot's career goes... Where he's winning the big races, the you know the Daytona 500s, the Coke 600s, Brickyards, you know those kind of things. I think it's absolutely a success. He's won a lot of big races. He's got a championship. He's going to end up with you know how many number of wins. Absolutely. Now, if his career, <laughs> I can't. I'm going to probably make some people mad. If his career follows his father's career in some respects, Elliot, uh, Bill Elliott won his title in '88. He won the Daytona 500 twice in 85 and 87. In 92, Bill Elliott won five races and finished second in the championship, narrowly lost the title. From that moment forward, though, Bill didn't do a whole lot. He went through a long stretch where he didn't win any races. Um, now, he owned his own team, and there, there's some complications with that. And then he returned with Everham, and he won the Brickyard 400, which was great. Bill Elliott had a very successful career, though. If that's Chase's career, I don't know. At this age, having this success with the team he's with and he's not going anywhere, to me, it feels like the bar has been raised. And to me, I look at this question, the second part of this is, what is Chase Elliott's legacy going to be? And I think to really kind of continue the career he's on, I would probably be disappointed if he didn't have multiple championships and ended up with something like 50, 60 career wins. Well, when you see, I mean, certainly when you see what he's done already, you would think he's going to do more and the expectations are raised. But to your point about Bill Elliott, I mean, people look back at him now and go, hey, wow, you know, legend, Hall of Famer. They don't think, ah, well, you know, from 92 on, uh, his career wasn't so great. They just, they don't even consider that. Like, you just think, wow, Bill Elliott, right? So, um, yes, of course, at the time, in the moment, people go, dang, what's what's wrong with chase this year? He's not winning or something. And, and there'll be years like that. But, um, I just think as a, the body of work, you know, when they sit down to look at his hall of fame resume someday, there'll be enough there for, for people to say he's a success. Um, let's see. The next question here is from Alex pro rock. And he says, has the RTA slash charter system been a net benefit or hindrance to the sport? Jordan, I think that's a great question, and my answer to this question has flipped 180 degrees. If you would have asked me this question prior to Daytona last year, right as they were renegotiating the RTA agreement, NASCAR and its teams, I would have said the charter system was kind of largely a failure. And talking to a lot of teams, they had felt like while there had been some cost-saving measures and everything, 
it really hadn't done what they were hoping for. Um, costs were still high. NASCAR had not seen the influx of new teams or new owners wanting to come in and start up teams and, and be part of this sport. You saw teams like Furniture Row go away. And there was really kind of questions of what, what's going on with this charter system. It's not working how we thought. That's all changed in a lot of respects. Um, the the expenses that teams are incurring, now they obviously want to keep lowering those costs, but they've come down pretty good. And they're happy with where things are at. They want to continue to make pride, uh, you know, progress towards this. And then you look at the fact that all the new teams that are coming in this year, um, 2311 Racing, Trackhouse Racing, um, Live Fast Motorsports, it's really kind of opening the door for some teams some owners that maybe we didn't think about and, and saying this is an opportunity now it's it, being an owner is more effective or more cost manageable than ever before so the opportunity to become a, a cup series owner is certainly there i think it's a good thing and i like the progress that it's making yeah i i i'm kind of along the same lines honestly um you know the the fact that that is become so valuable that that really shows me something that, that the cost is, or you know, the value is going up. That people are getting more money for it. That's that's huge. I mean, that's the whole, that's the whole thing, right? Um, and yeah, I mean, we we've got bidding wars for charters now, which is not something we've had happen before. Right. I I mean, I think that says it all. Now, are there things that I wish were different? Yeah. I mean, I think there's there's a few things like, you know, the four car cap and things like that that. You know, you go, oh, well, under the charter system, you can't do this. You can't do this. Um, you know, but I think those are, side, you know, side things. I mean, people are m making, you know, life decisions and investments like the Spire guys on based on charter values. I mean, so in that sense, you have to say it's it's been a net benefit. I mean, you're, you're having stronger teams for the future because of this. Does it keep some people out? Yeah, but ultimately, I, I think it's probably... A positive so I'm, I'm I echo um, most of your answer what you said there um, let's uh, you want to read our next question there from Aaron sure. Peach this is from Aaron this is a fun one which driver or drivers get their first wins in the cup series in 2021 yeah I mean you know obviously a lot of people in the cup series right now at least a lot of people on winning teams have already had at least one victory um, and you know, you took a few more guys off the list this year, like a, um, a Byron and a Custer. So, you know, you, you don't have a ton of options left here. I mean, the one that, you know, sort of jumps out as, Hey, I wonder if he could win in his first season is, uh, is Chase Briscoe. Especially um, on a road course or something. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's going to be in a good car and, and he's obviously talented, won a ton in Xfinity. Um, you know, I, I think uh, Tyler Reddick is a guy, obviously, who is capable of, you know, especially, you know, if he gets a track where he can run the high line and, and mm -hmm. make some ground on people. I mean, that's he's super talented. Um, who else are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, those Tyler Reddick is a name that jumps off to me. I mean, he's a guy we saw last year with just flashes, you know, whether it was at Phoenix or Homestead or Bristol, where he just had some really, really good runs. And you're like, whoa. I, to me, a lot of it is predicated on Richard Childress Racing and where they're at with their cars. If they've got speed in their cars like they did last year, I, I think Reddick can win this year. I really do. I think he, and you look at his career, he typically makes a really big jump in his second year. Another guy, too, is Christopher Bell. I mean, he's a very talented driver, had an up-and-down rookie year, but actually I think on the totality of it, had a pretty solid rookie year. He's now getting in a Joe Gibbs car. Um, 
I think the expectation is he's going to win because he's paired with Adam Stevens. I, I actually think Christopher Bell is going to do a lot of big things this year. I expect I, I expect him to have really towards the second half of the year. I think him to become a four. So probably Reddick and Bell are my other are my two first mentions. I think we should probably mention Bubba Wallace too. He's going to be in the best equipment of his career. Um, you know, we know Toyota and Joe Gibbs Racing are putting a lot behind this. So you know, those are some names that kind of you know pop off to me. Yeah, I like your Bell pick a lot. I mean, he's definitely one that one to watch this year for a win. Bubba again, you know, um, I think twenty three eleven is going to be a contender uh, for points on uh, to to make the playoffs. But I I'm not sure I see them winning their first year. Yeah, uh, there's certainly you know it's possible. They're, I mean they're going to yeah, have decent and, stuff. But, but yeah, and Bubba's good in in, in, in speedway races. That, you know we yeah. can't ignore that. Um, here's a name for you. What do you think about Matt D? Think he can get that win this year? Oh think gosh, I don't know why we didn't say that. Yeah, Matty D. Yeah, that's that's another one where we're just sort of waiting. He's on the precipice of it. Um, that could definitely be one. That's that's a great one. Um, well, it looks like we're down to the final question we're going to do for this episode anyway, and it's from Scott Wren. And uh, he says, so um, on one of the previous podcasts, we mentioned the need to add more short tracks and maybe doing, you know, being okay with smaller crowd sizes. So a uh, two-part question, why can't the Cup Series go to Iowa? It's a great track with great races. I don't get it. And he says, number two, if you're willing to have a small crowd, why not go back to Rockingham? The Cars Tour is running there this year. Um, what do you have to say to Scott's uh, questions there for Iowa and a place like Rockingham? Yeah, I mean, we, we do – we obviously when it comes down to it, television is more important than crowd size and television contracts, and you don't have to worry so much about attendance. But attendance still matters. It's not like you, you can't have people you know show up at these races because to open the facility costs a lot of money. So you've got to have some kind of return on your investment. And at both tracks, both Iowa and Rockingham, the return was very, very low. Iowa um, struggled with attendance. Why they did, it's a, it's a great question. It's almost, it almost feels kind of unanswerable in a lot of ways because no one can figure it out. It's a great track. The amenities there are are good, but it's triple A baseball good, not major league baseball good. And I haven't been to Rockingham. I don't know what it's like. I know they've had all sorts of issues. I don't know what the facilities are like. But the reality is, is when they've had racing there, even when the Cup Series was there in its heyday, and Jeff, you can speak better to this, the crowds were really abysmal. Now, the time of the year when they had those races wasn't the best, but you do need to have some semblance of a, of a fan base that shows up at these tracks for them to, to open the gates. Well, my first ever um, NASCAR race uh, in attendance, covering it, any anything was uh, at Rockingham. It was the final Rockingham race ever in 2004. And I remember the storyline, even though I was brand new at, at NASCAR stuff, I remember the storyline being, wow, um, you know, they haven't sold this place out. There's only, you know, I think at the time it was like, oh, geez, they only have like 60,000 people here or something, um, which was very small for that era um, crowd wise. And people were like, well, they're going to have to go somewhere else. And then so, so, you know, that was that was definitely a thing. And then. Um, you know, when they tried to bring like the truck race back there and say, hey, we're, you know, Rockingham, Rockingham, they still didn't get the, the turnout. I mean, it's in a part of North Carolina where you just um, it just doesn't draw that well. And people like the idea of it and talk about it a lot. But to actually go, uh, they, they just don't go. And then I think some of the pictures we've seen as well, facility wise, um, you know, weeds growing up through certain places or the buildings not being in the best shape. I'm not saying it's like North Wilkesboro by any means, but it's it's not in uh, the condition now, uh, where I think they could go there. I mean, cars tour can go and not need to use every bit of it, you know, in terms of like maybe the media center, the infield care center or something. 
Um, they don't have the same sort of requirements that a broadcast compound would have. Um, so anyway, um, I, I just, you know, it, it's a great idea. Uh, but in reality, I, I just don't think it's feasible for modern day cup series to go there. So, um, it's unfortunate. I think can I just real quick, I think yeah. both, you know, both Iowa and Rockingham are kind of, it, it's tough too, because they're both in markets that are pretty Sir, already served. You know, Iowa's got Kansas Speedway close by. It did have Chicagoland Speedway close by, and it, you know now it's got Road America and Rockingham too. There's there's tracks all sur- you know surrounding it, so it's it's a very tough market to crack. When how, how do you figure out how to get crowd support? And if you're looking at you know taking NASCAR to different areas, is adding a race in an already overserved market the best way to do it? I, I don't know. I mean, I know Darlington's going to get two races this year, and Atlanta's got two, so maybe you know maybe it doesn't matter, but those races at those tracks aren't for the long term. I mean, I think we can all kind of say that, you know, Atlanta may not have two races long term if there's a different way, you know, avenues to explore there. Or if NASCAR can, you know, get a date somewhere else on a street course or road course, maybe somewhere that that date may come from uh, Darlington in the spring. So it's just, I, I just, I, I worry about having too many races in, in a certain area, too many, too many races in one area. Yeah, no, I think that's true too. And now when you look at it, um, I mean, I haven't looked on Google Maps, but from what I remember in living in Eastern North Carolina, I think Rockingham is, is um, you know, certainly less than two hours from Darlington. It's probably about, you know, maybe two and a half hours or so from from Charlotte. Uh, it's probably three to f- three and a half, four hours or so from Richmond. All those places, obviously, I have two races already. Um Martinsville, you want to throw that in there too. Bristol's not that far away. Atlanta again. So yeah, it just, it, it adds up pretty quickly to a, a pretty overserved market uh, as it is. So anyway, we want to thank uh, everybody for submitting their questions. We may get to more questions um, in the future, but I want to read off some of the names of people who submitted questions as a thank you in case uh, we didn't get to them. That includes uh, David Lee, Adam Sturgeon. Adam Sturgeon uh, from Scotland, by the way. Thank you for listening to us in Scotland. Uh, Dakota Rutledge. uh, Stephanie, whose Twitter name is Love My Three Kids. uh, Brandon H. Keith Hayes. um, Steve-O24 on Twitter. um, Zach Fulton. Dave Steiner. uh, Mark Padgett. Zachary Bell. Corey Givens. I think I read everybody who also submitted questions that we, we didn't get to. Um, again, we may answer some of those on future podcasts if we try to um, do some mailbag segments at the end. But um, just in case, I just wanted to thank everybody uh, for doing that. So, Jordan, any final thoughts uh, for this week as we are now already in, in mid-January? I mean, the, the season, the Daytona 500, will have already been concluded uh, a month from now, less than a month from now. Crazy. Yeah, it, it, you know, first, thanks for the questions. It was a lot of fun. Please keep them coming, and uh, hopefully we can do this again down the road or on a regular, semi-regular basis. Uh, and, yeah, it does feel like the season's here. The Chili Bowl, you know, the first race kicks off, and then you got Rolex coming up in a couple weeks, and then right after that, Daytona 500. So it certainly feels like the racing season has started. Cool. I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, and I'm sure everybody else is as well. Thanks everybody so much for listening and we will talk to you next time on the teardown.